Welcome to Living Orthodoxy, an invitation to a deeper life in Christ, a podcast of St. Philip Orthodox Church in Souderton, Pennsylvania, dedicated to connecting the liturgical and spiritual life of the Orthodox parish with the life of the Orthodox home, presenting the weekly homilies of our parish pastors, Father Noah Buscelli and Father James Thayer, as well as discussions of the liturgical year and Orthodox life and practice by Justin Gold and Jeff Hyatt. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Well, here we are for another installment of our Living Orthodoxy podcast. Uh, I feel like it's been several months since we've been on the air, so to speak. Uh, it has. Uh, it's good to be back with you here. Yeah, we, we feel like we need to almost reintroduce ourselves. We're, who are we and why are we here? That's right. We're, we're thankful to be able to offer you some good content on the podcast with the weekly homilies and... Uh, the retreat that we had recently with Deacon Mark Barna, the Linton retreat, uh, the choir, choir concert. concert right. So uh, we hope that you are enjoying those and finding those beneficial, and we'll try to add our few few pieces into the mix here yeah. uh, as well. Yeah, today we're going to take a page out of our faith stories uh, approach, your uh, use of our podcast here. And one of our first podcasts... I can't remember what month that was, but October, November was uh, us sitting down and I was able to you know, give a little faith story of my own, a little recounting of how we, uh, me and my family, made the journey to orthodoxy. And That's right. So we want to return the favor here and, <laughs> and hear uh, Subdeacon David's narrative, his, his faith story, how he, his life, background, and the journey that led him into the Orthodox Church. And uh, so we're we're looking forward to to hear your story, David. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your the early years, your the kind of uh, tradition, what your family life was like, uh, how faith played a part in your in your life as you were coming up. Sure, sure. Well, I was uh, I was born as a young child, of course. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Breaking news. <laughs> No, I was born into uh, a pastor's family in uh, Baptist churches, and so I was, uh, my sister and I, I have one sister who's two and a half years older than me, Christy, and uh, we were almost literally born and raised in the church in that regard. So um, my father was involved in music ministry and other associate pastor, assistant pastor kind of jobs like youth ministry and uh, visitation ministry, those kinds of things. She and I were both born in Quincy, Illinois, which is a river town between Illinois and Iowa, while my parents were serving at a church there. And then my dad went uh, back to school for his master's degree in church music history. And so, we, you know, off we went for a couple of years, and then that led to another move. Uh, so by the time I was five years old, I believe, we had lived in, we were on our third city, our third state in which we were living, which uh, in a lot of ways would come to be characteristic of, of this kind of pastoral life, at least in, in a lot of Protestant circles. So we ended up uh, settling in Texas, which is where my father's from, around Dallas, basically. So, Go Cowboys. Yes, oh! I know. Yes, I am a Cowboys fan. Everyone who's listening can turn off the, yeah. the, the 
the computer right now. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Texas in uh, in a, a loving family, a loving family, and around uh, quite a few extended family members. Uh, my father has many cousins. His aunts and uncles were in the area, and so we had uh, lots of family opportunity that way. Is that part of the reason you moved down there? To, that was a big part of it. Okay. My um, so my grandparents were involved in the church where my father would eventually be hired. So while my dad was getting his master's degree at uh, Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, he and mom also got their undergrad degrees there. But while he was back getting his master's, there was you know ongoing conversation about we'd like you to come there and this. Church Trinity Temple Baptist Church was the name of the church. Um, it's no longer in existence, unfortunately. But they also had a small Bible college where they would train men to be pastors. Um, there were a few tracks uh, for women as well. And so my mom served as the dean of women at the college, Independent Baptist Bible College, IBBC, which we jokingly called Itty Bitty Baptist Bible <laughs> College. Um, but she was the Dean of Women and taught English, which was her area of, of expertise. And then my my dad was the music minister at the church and then also taught conducting and music ministry in the college there as well. Uh, yeah, so we moved there. I was going into K-5, so a five-year-old kindergarten. And I went to a Christian school there in the area, not connected to that church, a different church. But that's where the first half of my childhood was, was, was in Texas, um, often in the church. Uh, in the summertime when school was out, I still remember we had these long tile hallways uh, in, in the college area, whatever, that um, were, were kind of roaming territory, still cool in the hot Texas mm -hmm. summer, uh, would be a place to hang out with some other uh, professors' kids and and, and spent, spent some some good time there, good time there, except for the tarantulas that would show up yeah, and occasional yeah. scorpions. So yeah. that's a whole other side of the story that I don't care for. But yeah. yeah, so that was the place where I would say my my faith was, on a personal side, was initiated and really started to develop. So obviously I was, the faith was being shaped and formed in me even as a child, but by the time I was five years old, and in the in the at least our Baptist tradition, it's a you know kind of a conversion mindset of entering into the faith. And so, when I was five years old, uh, I I came home from church on a Sunday afternoon, and I don't remember what I heard. Although there were often sermons on hell and how bad it would be to go there in our churches, but I don't remember what I heard, but I do remember coming home from church that day in our little townhouse on Honey Tree Lane in Dallas and asking my dad, like, how do I get saved? What do I, what do I need to do? So he, he talked to me. I think we just sat on the couch there in our little, our little living room that I'm visualizing as I tell the story <laughs> even. Um, he told me, and then being the, the introverted kid that I was, I didn't want to pray with in my front. father because that was so personal, I guess. So I went into the little downstairs half bathroom at the bottom of the stairs and I knelt at the toilet 
<laughs> to pray and uh, and tell you know to, to tell Jesus that I knew I was a sinner and that you know I believed in Him and I wanted to be saved and so I jokingly tell people that that God can even save people on the toilet and yeah, I'm living yeah. proof of that and then I came That's back out of the kind bathroom I <laughs> know kneeling at the throne is a different concept altogether yeah. but. Uh, you know, for me, it worked as an as a, as a way of initiation, as a way of personal like this. This is something that I want, yeah. and of course, a lot of that was shaped and formed out of the the idea that I didn't want to go to hell. Who does? But right. I didn't. And as a young child, I had heard enough about the 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 torment of hell that I knew I didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, that's largely what I was saying yes to was heaven over hell, which is certainly good i mean it was a start right for me because in that tradition you we didn't baptize infants so it was after a personal profession of faith my sister had prayed a prayer uh in that regard a a few years before me but had not been baptized yet um and so she and i were baptized at the same time uh at our church and as i recall it it was a very tall building and the baptistry was about halfway up the wall behind where the choir and the, the 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 pulpit the platform the choir loft and so i remember peeking over the edge of the the wall the opening and looking down and thinking the adults look like they're ants you know and yeah. being terrified about how high up i was but we were both baptized on the same same sunday so this was right after you were after you it was within probably a few weeks okay. of Conversion. that decision yeah, so decision. yeah my mom still has a picture of my sister and I and our little Sunday duds with our little suitcases with our change of clothes in it, hmm. kind of under a tree in front of the, the townhouse before we went to church that Sunday morning. And well, that's nice. It was you know, followed that closely. You know? It did. It followed quickly. It was nice to do it with my sister. Yeah. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, definitely for both of us was an initiating point where, where we identified ourselves as Christians, even as a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, there was an, a new awareness of wanting to be whatever it is we understood that to mean, wanting to be a Christian. And so that was that, that was our kind of initiating place, and that came out of our family life and, you know, many hours in, in church and Sunday school and reading the Bible and hearing stories. And, right. And... So there's that initial piece of wanting to avoid hell. Right, right. Um, if, you know, if I were to talk to you, whatever, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I asked, I would ask you, what what is the, I mean, this is maybe to put it too globally, but what does the Christian faith involve? Right. What, you know, in that time and place, what would you have said? You know? Yeah, in that time and place, I probably would have said that it, it consisted of... Um, Receiving forgiveness for sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. And then after that, being a good Christian, which would essentially consist of going to church and, you know, obeying the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's, that would be pretty I, I would add now, looking back at it, probably also, in a, in a sense, waiting, waiting to die. <laughs> I mean, like... It's taken care of. You, you maintain that faith. You go to church in order to maintain that faith. But it, it largely is about forgiveness of sins so that you can go to heaven and not hell. Yeah. 
So that was the thrust of of our faith and of the sermons that I heard and of the Sunday schools that I went to. With not really anything, we don't really contribute anything to that. Right. That that forgiveness, right? It's correct. Yeah, correct. And it was the the churches I grew up in. I don't recall them being strongly Calvinistic, um, being an emphasis on on predestination, on God choosing who he will save and who he won't save. I don't remember that. Maybe it was, but that wasn't a part of my awareness. Uh, it, it certainly necessitated a response on our part of accepting, of receiving, of believing. But it was all all by grace, not by works, so that no man can boast. Yeah. Um, it's in the Bible somewhere. Right? That's right. Somewhere St. <laughs> Paul said that in yeah. Ephesians. So it... Um, that that was that was the clear the clear understanding yeah. um, of that, and in one regard, a very life giving understanding, mm-hmm. because you know if if you do become aware of your sin, and at five years old I was aware of my five year old sin, mm-hmm. I really was. What do I do about it? Yeah. What can I do about it? I'm the sinner. Yeah. So there was there was a piece to that that was very that was and is very life giving. God so graciously pours out his love on us while right. we are still sinners yeah. um, that he died for us. So, yeah. What was the Romans road? Was that something you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Part of your lexicon. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. The Romans road. So clarifying, you know, that the wages of sin is all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Um, yeah. yeah that, as an explanation, more so than the four spiritual laws, that would have come a little bit later. Okay. Um, but in our context, the Romans wrote the, the wordless book um, yeah. Yeah. that we were taught with the, the, the bracelets or with actual making paper books with the different colors that represented, um, you know, our life and our need for forgiveness and salvation. And so I would say, I mean, looking back on that, one of the that, that's one of the pieces that I certainly continue to value and appreciate is a tradition that helped me to be aware of my sin. And that's something that I'm continuing to to strive to do as I seek to live in repentance today as an Orthodox Christian, but that is consistent with my upbringing yeah. still, is that awareness that I, I am a sinner. And probably more so than I even realize today. I certainly realize it now more than I did at five. But I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not seeing myself clearly uh, even now. And so that need for, uh, for repentance now, how God works in us and, and through us to redeem us, I have a different understanding now than I did then. But, yeah. um, but that's, that's a very godly thing that I received. Uh, for not okay. We're not okay. Yeah. It's not. I'm, not, yeah. I'm okay. You're okay. Right. Yeah. That was that was when I was a child too. But yeah, um, yeah that, no, that we're not. That we we do have a, a need, and it's something more significant than what we can muster on our on our own. So that was a good, beautiful thing. Another thing, I guess, that mentioned from that era too that um, I still value and appreciate deeply is just the love for the scriptures that was emphasized very strongly in our church, in our family, um, reading the Bible, memorizing uh, Bible verses so that when you came to challenging times or temptation or whatever, there would be, there would at least be some scripture in your, in your mind and in your heart that you could, could call on. And as well as teaching from the scriptures, whether it was sermons or Sunday school, 
maybe certainly have different interpretation and understanding of things now than I did then. But one of the things that is that remains is is the love for the scriptures and for the church, quite frankly. Yeah. Again, we would define the church differently. However, um, I, as I look back on my own upbringing, and certainly for many of the uh, you know still traditional Baptist and, and traditional other Protestant Christians in our area, one thing we'd be remiss to not give them credit for or admire or respect is their love for the church as they understand it. Um, that, that commitment to being in church whenever there were services, participating, serving, following along, taking notes during sermons. But, you know, that love for God's house, God's people, God's word. Those were things that were instilled in me from a young age. Yeah. Well, I think I, this is a comment I made in my faith story. Just the, It's unfortunate that there was that disconnect between the actual practice, the actual, you know, devotion to the church yeah. as, as it was understood and the theology of the church, you know, like <laughs> it's, a, it's just unfortunate that, you know, given that all the historical and yeah. theological, ideological uh, currents that have formed and, you know, carried the traditions along that mm-hmm. the, those two haven't been more, you know, the, the practice and the theology, the historic theology of the church haven't been able to be maintained together in, in, other, in other traditions. Right. Yeah. And I guess the way that I think about that is just that as I look back on that or in my own story and, and look at that and maybe other other people's experiences today is that it, I see remnants, I see fragments of the historic Christian faith. And in, to that extent, I think, I think we can all affirm that in whatever tradition it is. They say, oh, look, look, there's, the, there's that historic emphasis. Yeah. Now, there might be some differences and you know, how the ecclesiology of the, the free church, congregational church mindset came about out of abuses also. So of yeah. others, you know, of the church before them that, that drove them to that conclusion. But right, that, that emphasis on the, the priority of church, you know, you, you would never go to a sports, um, sports practices. It, I was in high school before my parents finally let me decide if I was going to go to soccer practice right. on Wednesday night or not because we had church on Wednesday yeah. night. So that was one of the things that I uh, benefited from greatly of just having that that sense of the church, the life of the church being important and having our family life structured around that. I can't say that I always liked it as a kid right. at the time because it meant I had to say no to some things or my parents said no to some things. But looking back on that, that is something I appreciate and value and was very shaping uh, in my own my own journey. Any, any, I mean, how was your high school experience at faith and then, you know, transitioning towards, towards your first career, marriage, those kinds of things. Right. Kind of connect the dots for us. Right. Well, going into fifth grade, my dad told us that we were going to be moving to Iowa. And as a boy who had grown up in Texas, I said, what's Iowa? <laughs> There's no place outside of Texas. Yeah. So it was like a foreign land. Are we going to be missionaries? What's going on? I discovered it was just uh, a day's drive north of us. But uh, So we moved to Sioux City, Iowa, which is on the very western side of the state where South Dakota and Nebraska and Iowa all come together. 
And again, my dad served at churches there. My mom and dad both taught in a Christian school, a day school, not a college, but a school. And that's where I then went from fifth grade all the way through graduated high school there. And the church was very much the same in its theology um, and its understanding. And so one of the things that was common in our churches was having revivals, you know, having that sense of I've somehow lost my first love um, for Christ and I need to be revived. And that sense sometimes of the passion and energy that you would have after that initial conversion would fade in time. And that passion and dedication was often the the physical, the emotional manifestation that your faith was genuine. So if that was fading, if it was real, it needed to be revived. And if it wasn't real, then it needed to be started for real. And so there were those kinds of services. And and the youth pastor that I had at the time would also call us as teenagers to take our faith seriously, as a good youth pastor would do. And um, there was a point at which, again, where I kind of recommitted, rededicated. I was going to ask you, how many times did you rededicate your life? Well, as a kid, (laughs) hearing lots of hellfire sermons, you know, you get saved over every Sunday because you just want to make sure it it worked. But but no, in high school, it was that that point of, you know, this, yeah, this really is my faith. And I think, again, even today, uh, our, our teens, we have two sons that are teenagers and the other teenagers in our in our church, I mean, we all have to wrestle with that. Is this really my faith? Am I owning this? Not mine as I possess it. But is this is this a, something I'm choosing to live out? Mm. Um, or is this just something my parents made me go to, and then as soon as I get out of the house, I'm, I'm done with it? So yeah, there was that, that point in high school for me too, that again, looking at that and saying, is this, do I really believe? Is this really my faith in that sense do i really want to dedicate my life in in living in this way and 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 you know the the answer was affirmative at the time although so no faith crises or not really not really um you know on the downside and this is out of not because of my parents but just out of my own sin you know i learned very early on how to how to fit the mold you know play the part play the part how to look like dress like talk like have your hair cut the right way to fit the mold. And in addition, being a pastor's kid as well, there was extra scrutiny yeah. that you were under, expectation that you were under. But I, I, I knew how to do that. Whether my heart was in it or not, it wasn't all the time. So there was that piece of it that wasn't a, a, a good thing that I, I learned how to do well, but I did learn how to do it well. So I didn't have any you know like major rebellious outbursts where I, you know, got face tattoos and, you know, <laughs> started uh, doing illicit drugs and yeah. joined a, a death metal band or right, something. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of fit, I went along, went and went along to get along for the most part. You so. were the son who stayed home. I was, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I was the self-righteous, <laughs> I am the self-righteous mm-hmm. son who stayed home. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in a lot of ways yeah, that right. I, I resonate with that part of the story. Join the club, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so graduated from high school, um, 
couldn't decide what I wanted to study in college. Went and played soccer out here in Pennsylvania, actually, at uh, Geneva College, north of Pittsburgh. Had a great time there. Ended up transferring to Cedarville. It was college, now it's university in, around Dayton, Ohio, in the little town of Cedarville. And got a degree in broadcast communications and kind of settled on that because I still didn't fully know what I wanted to do with my life, but I liked working with sound systems, had done that since junior high in church and had a musical background. And so I thought, well, you know, I can do that. So I got a degree in, in broadcast communications. And in the summer between my junior and senior year of college is when I met my wife. She had also graduated from Cedarville, but she was much more focused than I. And she went straight from high school to Cedarville, got her teaching degree in three and a half years, graduated, did her student teaching everything in that amount of time. I don't know how she did it, but she's a bigger man than I am. So, edit that. Edit that. Edit that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? Um, so I met my lovely wife that summer. So she had she had graduated from college, and I was still making my way through and I actually had plans to go to Alaska that summer and work at a radio station in Alaska and uh, had been accepted and it was all set up ready to go and about I think about a month before the end of my junior year in college um, all of a sudden I just felt like I don't I don't know if that's the thing to do I'm not sure I really really want to do this so I called the station director up there and talked to him and he said you know you do, you need to just do what seems what you feel like God's leading you to do do um, we'll be okay either way so I decided not to go but by then all the summer recruiters you know that come on to college campuses for summer jobs um, had come and gone everything had been filled so that day that I talked to the director of the radio station, that evening I went to dinner at the cafeteria and there was a big lobby area at the front of it and that's where all the recruiters would set up when they would come. And I walked in and all of a sudden here's one recruiter there with his display from this place called Gull Lake Bible and Missionary Conference up in Michigan. And he was looking for one position and it was the audio tech for their, what they called the tabernacle, their big meeting auditorium. And I thought, well, I can do that. I mean, that's what I'm studying. What's, what are the odds that that's the one thing you'd be looking for? So I filled out the application and I, I got the job. And, um, and that's where I ended up meeting my wife. She was working there. Oh, wow. Uh, she had been working there in the evenings at teaching school and, and doing those kinds of things. So. You could have gone to Alaska and met Father Noah. I know. I had no idea that a celebrity was living in Alaska at the time, but uh, or soon-to-be celebrity yeah. priest. So, um, yeah, I mean, you think back about those decisions in your life. One, one decision, right. I mean, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have the sons that I have. They wouldn't, I guess, exist. I don't, you know. Yeah. All because of a recruiter. All was. because of a recru uh, this, uh, yeah. an ill feeling following that, yeah. Yeah. and then a recruiter that showed up at just the right time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so we worked that summer. We kind of decided maybe we were interested in each other by the end of the summer. And then I was going five hours south back to Cedarville. And so we had this very unromantic conversation at the end of the dock with these annoying ducks that came splashing in and quacking and, you know, being distracting. 
and just kind of we had a very unromantic conversation of do we even want to try a long distance relationship I thought, well you know let's just see how it goes well by December I asked her to marry me and then it was a full year before we actually got married but so I guess uh, that was a successful uh, it was successful so yeah it doesn't always have to be this like ooey gooey romantic yeah. scenario yeah. you know in our case we just said let's I don't know does it even make sense to try dating you know or or being in a relationship so but it did so we uh so that you had the long-term thing all the way up to your your wedding pretty much or did you end up right so i went back i i was still down in ohio i'd come up maybe once a month and meet her at her parents home in southern michigan and kind of spend the weekend there and spend time with her parents and go to church with them and all that and then go back to school and um, once or twice she came down um, she had friends still in the area, and she came down and visited me at, at Cedarville. But it was it was that, and then I had an internship um, at the end of the summer. I graduated that at the end of my senior year, but then I had an internship to complete after that. And um, that was out in Colorado. So I went and spent the summer in Colorado uh, without her, obviously, because we weren't married. Um, and uh, worked at a media agency out there, West Star Media Group. And then they offered me a job at the end of that internship. So then I took a month off between the internship and starting full-time employment. Went back, we got married. Went on a honeymoon in California to my uncle's cabin up in Lake Tahoe area. And then moved uh, our stuff from Michigan to, to Colorado to start our our married life together out there. So you were going there for a job. Right. Did she have any... She had like, nothing lined up at that point. Yeah. Um, for so she, she was leaving she, something. and Yeah, and it was, it was really hard. It was really hard for her because her parents still, to this day, live in the home she came home from the hospital in. So when she thinks of home, she thinks of a specific house on a specific street in a little tiny farm community in southern Michigan. Yeah. And when I think of home, I think of wherever my parents are or wherever my stuff is. <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like I, you know, which that we've moved multiple times, even in the same town, to different homes. So, um, so that was a big transition. Not only were we newly married, but my wife was leaving a sense of stability. She'd never lived more than five hours drive away from her birth home, her growing up home, and so that was a big. It added some extra challenges for her uh, and for us as a couple, just that whole transition thing. And I had a job I was going to, and she didn't. Yeah. So that also made it easier to me. I already knew these people I were going to be working with. And um, As the pastor yeah. said when I, I married Kate, yeah. leave and cleave. Right, right. So you guys got the... Boy, we got that. We got that in full force, yeah. yeah. And it was hard. It was the leaving part is hard. Yeah, yeah it, it can be a challenge. And uh, so she kind of searched around for work and substitute taught for a while at a big Christian school. Colorado Springs is there's hundreds of Christian ministries based out of Colorado Springs. So she taught at this Christian school for a while, subbed, and then she ended up finally getting hired in the legal department to focus on the family back behind the bulletproof doors in the executive wing. And um, and she really loved that job, actually. That was a good fit for her. So we, she was there until we moved from Colorado. Uh, 
So you were there how many years? We were there about three. Um, so, you know, I went for went for this job. I always wanted to live in Colorado. Ever since I was a little kid, we'd visited there a time or two. And I love the mountains. The mountains are... I just feel at home in the mountains, yeah. backpacking, and but just even just topographically, I feel yeah. like I feel appropriately small. Yeah. The, the mountains for me create this sense of appropriate smallness. Yeah. Um, that in my own pride and arrogance, I lose when I'm on flatland because I feel big. So I thought I was hoping to grow old and die there, you yeah. know, never leave, and that isn't how things worked out. But um, so is that where you got your your sense of calling to go on to the ministry or it was. seminary? It was so. Um, I was working for a media agency that produced Christian radio programs, evangelical in nature. So, you know, like the Promise Keepers Men's Movement, we did their radio radio programs. We did, did a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and one of those, uh, one of the shows that or radio programs that I was given to produce was out of um, the Minneapolis area, Church of the Open Door. Pastor David Johnson, he's still there, and. Um, I, I, you know, you, you listen to hundreds of hours of content as you're editing these things and, and creating programs, usually at double speed, so they sound like chipmunks, you know, mm -hmm. when you're doing it. But um, he had a way of talking about, preaching about the grace of God that I don't think I'd ever heard before, you know. And I, I grew up in church. I mean, I, I grew up in church, and I, I've... Much of that I value, as I've said, but there was there was something different, something life giving. Not excusing sin, not you know, not kind of the the Dietrich Bonhoeffer would refer to as cheap grace, um, where you know God will just forgive you, do whatever you want. Not that at all, but a very transformative understanding of the grace of God that I just, in my recollection, I didn't remember hearing, and so. Uh, I don't remember what day it was, you know, anything like that. But I, I, I do, I can visualize in my head sitting in my little studio at West Star. And we're doing all this on the computer and I hit the space bar, which would stop the audio from playing. And I actually said out loud, if this stuff is true, there's got to be more people teaching it. And I kind of thought, maybe that's, maybe that's what God wants me to be doing. And I had always said to myself and others, the last thing in the world I ever want to be is a pastor because I grew up in a pastor's home. I mean, I, I remember seeing my dad come home in the evening, sometimes in tears from deacons meetings and having just hurtful stuff as a church leader. Like, why would you ever want to be a part of that? I just, no way. Seeing the underbelly of the beast, I don't, yeah. don't want any part of it. Now, I didn't hate the church, but just like, no, no. Church is fine. It's the people. It's the people. Yeah, that's, we used to joke about that as a pastor. Being a pastor is great if it weren't for the people. Okay. So, um, so all of a sudden it was like, oh man, I think maybe God's like calling me to some kind of church ministry. So I, I didn't. It wasn't that day, but I was kind of trying to process that, and then um, I would. We had one car, so I go pick Beth Ann up after work, and we go back to our little apartment and. Uh, this one day I took her back and I, I said, you know, I think I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And 
<laughs> her response was, well, you better think again, because he's not calling me to be a pastor's wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah. There, there's I, that part of I hadn't equation. even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I was so like in my own head of, uh, what's going on here, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, this affects you, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> she didn't see herself fitting into that. So that was something we, we started talking with our pastor. At that point, we were going to an evangelical covenant church. And uh, Pastor Mark and, and talked with him a number of times about discernment and, and how do you know if God's calling you to, to anything. I mean, much less a vocational change. And, so, so, and just for, even I, I, mean, I don't yeah. know too much about evangelical covenant church. Sure. Right? But that would be... There would be fundamental continuity between what you were raised in. And yeah, how, a, a little bit different. Um, yeah. They would, um, they were uh, less. They, they don't tend towards legalism in the same way that some of the conservative Baptist um, churches might. They are out of the uh, the Swedish Free Church immigration. So the the Swedish Lutheran Church historically wanted to squash the Free Church movement because it was drawing people away and whatever, and other things. And so uh, you had a lot of immigration that came with that. And so there's kind of three cousin denominations. There was the Evangelical Covenant Church, the Evangelical Free Church, and also uh, what at the time was the Swedish Baptist um, Conferencia. Um, and when I, and that's the church that I was eventually would serve in. Uh, it was called the Baptist General Conference at the time. Now it calls itself Converge Worldwide. Um, but all kind of that free church out of the Scandinavian tradition is, is what that was from. So yeah, so we. So the, in other words, the the Lutherans don't didn't go far enough. Correct. In the reaction to Rome. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they yeah. fell short. Yes. Sadly short. Yeah. Well, and became a state church again. Yeah. And got intertwined with politics and control and power and money and, yeah. you know, who can you know censoring who could say what and when and all those kinds of things and so. You know, freedom was to be found in the, in America. You know, which is that c continual immigration, searching for freedom, religious primarily in nature, yeah. which still today is true for people who immigrate here in in large part. So yeah, so we ended up off. We went. Uh, we left Colorado. We went to seminary. I went to seminary at at Bethel uh, Seminary, theological seminary in Saint Paul, Minnesota. It's connected with Bethel University there. And uh, jumped in with both feet, did summer Greek, which was like four hours of class and then four hours of studying and review and dove in in the, in the Masters of Divinity program. My wife started working full time for a, an architectural engineering firm, downtown St. Paul, and we had our first son, Noah, while we were in seminary. I went through some major, major health crisis while I was in seminary. So you know, seminary is not supposed to be easy, and but it, and it wasn't. It was a challenge for us. So this would be the early two thousands. Yeah, we we moved in ninety nine. Okay. Um, so um, started that that summer, but yeah, kind of made our way through. And by two thousand and one, I had accepted a call to be an associate pastor at a church uh, in northern Minnesota, and I still had a few classes to finish up, so I. I decided to accept that position and then just do their distance program to finish up the last few classes. So I didn't actually graduate till 03. So 
We moved to northern Minnesota. I served there as an associate pastor for two and a half, three years. Um, worked with Christian education, worked with the, the music, the, the, the worship music ministry of the church, um, and actually helped lead through a time of transition, um, resolve some, some hurt feelings and conflicts, some things that had happened previously to me coming, and so was thankful to be able to be used that way. Still have some close relationships with people from, from that church. Our, our boys have adopted aunts and uncles still from that short period of time. And, and so that was kind of a, a good transitionary period for us and really a time for me to, to continue to discern what it is that I believe God was calling me to in ministry, what role, uh, what function, what opportunities he may or may not put in front of me to serve. So after about, two, like I said, two and a half, three years, something like that, we, I ended up uh, interviewing and accepting a pastoral position in Duluth, Minnesota, which was about an hour and a half away. It's right on the southwestern tip of Lake Superior, if you can visualize that on the map. Um, went down there as, as the pastor for that church. And it, it came into a parish, a church situation that was challenging uh, for them before we even got there. They were in a, a difficult place, following in the footsteps of a pastor who had been there 21 years, I believe, who was greatly loved, uh, a good man, a kind man. And so it's hard enough to follow in a long-term situation like that. But the church had been going through a transition period, uh, a real struggle, a real challenge as far as you know, getting to the point where some people were wondering, is the church even going to stay open? Uh, there had been people leaving. There had been, you know, some some conflict situations. Uh, the church had an interim pastor by the time I came there, who was coming up from the Twin Cities to uh, be there on the weekend. So I came into that. Was being told we hired our last pastor when he was in his early thirties. Where, you know, we want somebody who's young, who has a family. Who, you know, we know we need to to connect with younger families and, and if the church is even gonna make it. So we thought, well, you know, they seem open and this seems like we could we could serve here well and, and be here for a long time. The previous pastor was here. So I came into it really believing this is the place God's calling me to, to lay down my life and, and be here with this group of people and and God willing grow old and die together with them and, and serve in that way. And so we came into that setting, led through a process with the congregation and the leaders of really remembering who it is that God calls us to be as his church and who it is that he calls us to be in this world as both aliens and strangers, but also in this world, seeking to embody and live in the reality of the kingdom of God here and now. And while there were many uh, amazing things that we saw happen in people's lives, and many of the people embraced uh, the decisions that they made as well. And as our council uh, led, uh, ultimately, uh, that relationship after seven years came to a very painful parting, both for myself and my wife, our family. Uh, but also for the leaders of the church, the, the parish council, the church council, 
as well as many in the congregation. And it was not something that was good and beautiful, uh, but was painful and really brought a lot of grief and hurt and a lot of repentance and reflection as we moved out of that relationship and continued to seek what God had for our lives as a family. I guess this is where it kind of turns towards the, the whole Orthodox thing. In that season of, well, through all of that, I had made a, friend, made a friendship, developed a friendship with the priest at the Greek Orthodox Church in town through a clergy, um, local clergy gathering, where he and I were the conservatives in a, in a, a larger cohort of Unitarians and UCC and, and other um, more liberal-leaning Christian traditions. And so we knew each other and, and we'd get together for coffee every once in a while and talk and things. Um, and I think I had been maybe for a Vespers service or something, but I, you know, it was simply just as with a, with a friend. So in this, after we had kind of officially brought that to an end, Father Tim, my friend there, he he invited me just one on one. Just said, you know, if you ever want some, if you want some place to be, a church to be in this, whatever this transition time is for you, you know, feel free to come to Twelve Apostles. No expectations. No, nobody knows you. Just you can just come. Because of course, in the Orthodox Church, when you're a priest, you're a priest. You don't just decide I'm not going to be a pastor, and then you don't go to church anymore. You're always connected, you're assigned, attached to, at least even in retirement, like Father James, he's attached here to to this pair. So it was, Father Tim just couldn't fathom what it would mean to be have a pastor who's not assigned to a parish who's just out there, yeah. you know. Um, so I said, well, thank you. I'm, you know, thanks, but I, I'm just, I'm so emotionally mentally fried right now I, this is just too different i can't i don't have the energy to begin to try and figure out what you're doing and why and <clears throat> what that means you know <laughs> and uh and of course he was kind he's like well you know anytime whatever so um by that point now so i had resigned 2011 february 6 2011 from the the church i was back in the process of you know in in protestant circles you kind of look for you're in a search process as a past potential pastor i was in that and i thought you know i'm going to ask my friend tim father tim if i could try this whole lent thing out i mean we didn't do that growing up in our circles that was a catholic thing you didn't want to look like a catholic or a pentecostal <laughs> so you know you, those were the two ditches so um i thought i'm going to ask him you know i mean when else am i going to be free on a sunday i'm thinking you know so I talked to him, because I, I, I didn't know, maybe he couldn't. I'm not Orthodox, so maybe they won't let me do this. You know, Baptists, a lot of Baptists have closed communion, you know, like Orthodox do, where you have to be you know, a member of the church to receive. And so I thought maybe this is one of those things. So I talked to him, of course, he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, what do you, to what extent do you want to do Lent? You know? <laughs> right. um, I said, well, the whole thing, like, tell me, like, I don't know, what is it? What do you, I don't even know what, it, what you do. So we had some long conversations, and uh, he kind of talked me through the process, and we kind of developed a plan for me. And, and so it actually it was Great Lent was my introduction to the Orthodox Church. Hmm. Just me, not my wife. She, had, she wanted no part of it. She didn't want part of anything at that point. She was so hurt. And um, 
so I started, you know, I started going to church on Sunday and then they had this pre-sanctified thing, which I didn't even know what that meant, but I suppose we were supposed to go to that. So I went to that on Wednesday nights in our parish. And that was also at a Serbian church in town. So we'd alternate weeks back and forth. And then there was the whole fasting thing. So I started doing that. Well, my wife is eating bacon and eggs and stuff at home and, and I'm eating veggies and, uh, and you know, praying the Jesus prayer and doing prostrations, which seemed utterly ridiculous and uh, reading some books and just I thought I, my, my whole point was just to get to know my crazy Romanian friend. I mean, that was really why I was doing this. It was, I had no interest or inkling that I was in any way interested in orthodoxy. It was just, eh, you know, different. I'll just yeah. try it out. So where that changed for me was during one of those pre-sanctified liturgies, we were at the Serbian church on a Wednesday night, and I was still just kind of standing in the back corner of the church and just watching all of it. And as and I think this was the first time I was at the Serbian church, but it may have been farther in. But anyway, as I was standing back there in that back corner, and I believe the it must have been that the priest came out with the gifts for the great entrance. And of course, I was supposed to be on my face. I wasn't because I was watching and I didn't know what I was doing right. or what I was supposed to be doing because nobody was telling me. Yeah. I was watching. I had this thought came to my mind, and I, I account it to God, but this thought came to my mind that Jesus could walk through those doors from the altar right now in the flesh, and we wouldn't do anything different than what we're already doing. Well, the people who were doing it, I was watching. But we would be either on our faces before him or we would be standing at attention. We would be asking him to have mercy on us. We would be keeping our eyes on him wherever he was in the room. It was like, this totally fits. And immediately following that thought was a corresponding thought. And that was, I'm not sure I can say that about the services that I've led. And that didn't mean like instantly, so you need to become Orthodox. But it was like a crack in the wall, a crack in the dam. Because I immediately knew that's a problem. Because I, I have a theology that says Jesus is in the room. He is present where two or three gather together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. That was an important piece for us. So I believe that he was present when I was leading services. I at least believed in it and hoped that that was true. But now I'm thinking I wouldn't do the services that now I'm looking to be a pastor at another church that I would be leading at this new church if Jesus was there, but I believe he's there. So what do I do with that? And for me, that's where it switched from trying to get to know my crazy Romanian friend better to I have to figure out why this seems more appropriate to the presence of God than what I know. And so then that led into actual serious reading, lots of loving arguments with Father Tim 
about, well, what about this? What about that? What about when the Bible says this? You know, and we would get into all kinds of, I, I would stir up all kinds of things and he would patiently listen and, and sometimes answer, sometimes redirect me to books or just say, well, you gotta, you better pray about that, you know? Yeah. In the meantime, about halfway through that Lent, uh, our middle son, Caleb, decided he wanted to go to church with me. And he was immediately drawn in. He couldn't articulate why, but it was just, you know, I like the way they pray, or I like the, I like how they do this or that. There's, I don't know, it's just something, you know. So that first Pascha, Caleb and I went to the Pascha service together. Mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. Never celebrated the resurrection like that before. Never, yeah. never, ever. <laughs> And the, the, the perfect context was, is so we went to that, you know, and then that parish, they have people that cook this huge lamb feast, you know, and everybody sits down in China and fancy glasses and everything, and you, you have this dinner, and, you know, our bodies are overwhelmed with all of it, much less being fatigued and eating a big meal of meat um, at three in the morning or whatever. Um, we go home, we get home at like five in the morning, sleep for a few hours, and then we get up and we go with my wife and other two boys to a local Baptist church for the Easter service. It was the year where it was the same Sunday. Yeah. And so we went to that one. And it's a it's a church that I, you know, he's moved on since, but I love the pastor. He was a good friend. He's a good man. It's a, you know, good ministry or whatever. But we went to it, and it was the most underwhelming celebration commemoration of the resurrection of christ that i could ever remember being a part of you know i wanted to holler up front hey you know he's alive right you know it's just like are you kidding like the it was it was exactly what god knew i needed because it was this contrast between okay here's what i can give you in the church and here's what you've been experiencing what do you want yeah. you want the fullness of this or are you fine with something that's less full? It's still directed towards me, but you, you can have this, you know. I mean, this is what I I want to give you. And um, so by that point, we had already decided, like, we're not doing the two-church thing anymore. Beth had been bringing the boys to Sunday school and youth group just to keep them doing something. So we started attending 12 Apostles as a family then after Pascha. And um, what were your conversations like with with my uh, wife? Yeah, what, yeah. As you were going through this she process, she was. She thought this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah I, I have no idea what you see in this, what you get out of this. Now, you know, part of that was because she was still really hurting and burned from the previous church situation. Even a few years later, she was still very wounded. As was I, but it was affecting her a little bit differently. But as we talked about, I mean, she. so we started coming to these services. She's like, like you know, when are we going to sit down? My feet are killing me. <laughs> Why are we, we have pews. Why are we standing this whole time? And and she, she talks about it. Um, she said she described it as, as uh, you know, church whack-a-mole. She's like, I, don't, I never know which door the priest is going to pop out of next. You know, what's... What are you doing? And, he said, and then we get to the point where he says, let's complete our prayer to the Lord. And then it's another like half an hour, you know, what's going on? So that's where she was. And, and uh, but relationally, she was, you know, we were all welcomed so warmly. And, um, and she was as well. And, and uh, 
Eventually somebody gave her a book by Frederica Matthews Green called Facing East. And and Frederica articulated what Beth Ann was feeling, you know. She looking at me and I'm just like, Oh, this is this is it. This is, you know, mm-hmm. heaven on earth. And she's like, What is, you know, what is wrong with you? This is the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And uh, but I, ironically, my wife was the one who was ready to become Orthodox before I was. Right. She finally just said, "Okay, yeah, I'm ready to become Orthodox now." And I said, "I'm not." Right. It's like, "What? <laughs> you you drug us to this church, and now you're not?" I'm like, "I'm still wrestling with theology and all yeah. kinds of things." And, uh, you're still overly intellectualized. I was. I was. <laughs> yeah, I just had lots of things to to hurdle, and the biggest thing for me was and um, was letting go of being a pastor. Mm. Yeah. Honestly, that was that was harder for me to let go of than wrestling with the Theotokos as yeah. a Protestant. Yeah. That was the hardest thing because that's what I still felt and honestly I still feel called to. That's where my heart is. That's you know, and I, I think that's been shaped in me since I was a kid. A love for the church, a love for God's people. Um, a love for the worship of the church, a love for His Word. That was that was the hardest. That was the kind of the the, the last straw yeah. for me. And really, continue. I continue to wrestle with that, honestly. Um, so, but we, you know, we ended up, you know, we become catechumens, and then um, in in on Pentecost 2015, um, we were received into the church. The boys were baptized, and Beth Ann and I uh, by chrismation. So then we could actually receive the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. It was a long time without yeah. even receiving something that was a semblance of the body and blood of Christ. You know. Well, you've been in the church now for what? Almost three years. Three years. Almost three years. Yeah. Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost. Pentecost. Year, May twenty yeah. seventh, right? Come yep. About three, three, four weeks. Yeah. And we were. My family was the year after you on Pentecost. So right. That was fun. So, I mean, maybe just say a little bit about your you know, your ministry now here. You're uh, ordained subdeacon here mm-hmm. back in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop Thomas visited. So, I don't know what what's your role in the church now, and sure, you know, what any what's your you're looking forward prospects. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we were so we we came into the church in a GOA parish, Greek Orthodox parish. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so after being chrismated, um, I was uh, tantra a reader by Bishop Demetrios of, uh, on behalf of Metropolitan Yakovos, who was still still alive at the time. Um, and uh, and then just through some life ongoing life fallout ramifications from leaving pastoring and struggling to find sufficient income and work and had to sell houses and all the kinds of things, as well as some health trouble for my wife. Um, we just realized we need to be closer to family, and my sister and her family are out here, and my parents. So we decided to uh, to move to move out here. And we had moved my parents a couple of summers, a couple of years ago now, out here. Uh, my to, to live in an in-law apartment attached to my sister's home. And while we were here, I thought, well, I'll just visit some of the parishes in the area. I was producing, I worked for Ancient Faith Radio, and I was producing uh, 
Father Andrew Stephen Damick's Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy podcast. So I thought, well, I'll visit his church while I'm out here too. And I had never met him face to face and it'd be nice to meet him. And But for whatever reason, that first Sunday, I decided, well, let's, let's go down to this St. Philip church. You know, I don't know anything about it. It's Antiochian. I don't even know what that, I know, I, you know, I know of Metropolitan Philip and the Antiochian church and Metropolitan Joseph who's leading it. And I, but I didn't really know. So that was, let's go. And of course I got the time mixed up. So we get here right at the gospel reading and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. You know, I've got my three boys and we're, nobody knows who we are. And we're just, you know, walking into narthex and the gospel reading is going on. The boys are like, well, what do we do? Are we going to leave? And I was like, well, no, let's just, we'll go and sit down in a minute. Let's just, you know. So the gospel reading is finished. It's like, you know, the doors are able to be opened again. And so we, we slip in and we find a seat and we sit down. And Father Noah Buscelli is, he's the one giving the, the homily. And, and as a part of his homily that Sunday, he was talking about what you need to do to prepare to receive communion. And the boys and I had fasted and we had, you know, we had gone to confession before we left and at our church and all those kinds of things and, you know, prayed the, the pre-communion prayers and whatever. One of his requirements is that you should show up at least before the gospel. Yeah. And I thought, oh, just man, made it. Made it. I didn't make it. <laughs> and so... I leaned over the, to Noah, I think it was, and I said, um, yeah, we're not going to go for communion. We're just, he's like, what? Why fast? You know, to yeah. the kids, food's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah. So it's like, we fasted for nothing? You yeah. know? Like, yeah, we're just not going to go. And uh, I thought, oh, man, this guy's tough, you know? Yeah. So uh, I actually apologized to him. Then when we came up for a blessing at the end of the service, he introduced ourselves, and we were, I was like, I'm sorry we're late, you know? And so that's why we didn't come for communion, and and then he like, real like remembered what he had, yeah, he was just like oh yeah I said that just for you I saw you come in and like yeah thanks so but it was such a oh my word the choir is just heavenly and the the people were so welcoming and friendly here and I thought oh we got to come back at least for a full service so then the next Sunday we came back for a full service and we never did visit any other church. <laughs> So we were here for a month and a half, two months, and Lucas ended up going to vacation church school here, and wonderful. Didn't know we were going to be moving at that point, but so when we had the opportunity, you know, and we needed to move, then thought, well, this is where we're going to be. This is where we're going to be, and uh, yeah. So we, we've come in and have sought to be useful, however we can be, and then, as you said, this last December, um, at the same time that you were tantra to reader. Um, I was also ordained a subdeacon by Bishop Thomas. And uh, yeah, just looking for opportunities to serve and learn and grow in whatever way I can, you know, use my pastoral experiences and my life experiences as well as what uh, I have learned and, and how I've grown in the Orthodox Christian faith to serve God's people in whatever way I can. So. Um, where that goes, only God knows. Yeah, right. Only God knows. So just try and be faithful with, with what's given at the time. And So you you asked me this question or something along this line. Yeah. So as you kind of turning our 
vision towards those who are outside of the mm-hmm. outside of the church what is there you know uh something you'd want to communicate to mm-hmm. seekers or you know those who have maybe you know people at different places but maybe yeah. some people have some conception of the orthodox church what it is yeah um or you know yeah what what would you say to people who are either know nothing or mm-hmm. have maybe have some conception uh what is it about the orthodox church that you have you've, you felt like you've come home mm. yeah yeah well i think the first thing that comes to mind would be to say it's not what you think it is and that could be applied in many different ways but it's not what you think it is it might be if you were coming from the background i grew up in you might look at it and say oh this is all about works righteousness this is about uh religion over relationship this is you know this is all about the traditions of men rather than the traditions of god I would just say to you, it's not what you think it is. Um, one of the things that I discovered as well in in my even initial conversations with my f- then friend who would become my priest, Father Tim, was that uh, a lot of times we were using the same words and we meant something different. And so in that regard, I would say, it's not always what you think it is. So because you've listened to a podcast or you've read a book, doesn't necessarily mean well intended as you are may not mean that you really understand what the orthodox church is is teaching or meaning or practicing in this regard just because you have a similar term or a similar concept Um, and it's not until you're really into the meat of it that you really begin to understand what that is so i would just say that would be my initial phase either in over-enthusiastic <laughs> exuberance that, oh, this is the best thing in the world. Well, it's not what you think it is. It's still full of people. Yeah. You, you, there still can be disappointments in leadership and in other kinds of things. Um, or, you know, or you think you understand and you're rejecting it. it right. It's also not what you think it is. Another thing that I have, have thought, um, and that is that you, you really have to worship your way into the church. So it's not enough to read books, although I read a bunch of books. It's not enough to listen to a bunch of podcasts, although I listen to a bunch of podcasts. And now I help make a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> That's not enough. You really have to participate in the worship of the church, the services of the church, to really understand not just the informational theology, although that's important too, but to understand the, the significance and the meaning so to that extent, I would say if you're, if you're out there and you're exploring or you're considering or you're longing for something more than what you're experiencing in your church tradition, you, you're going to have to give it some time and you're going to have to come over and over and over again and just allow yourself to just be immersed. Um, if you're a Bible person, you're going to find more Bible here than you'll find at a Bible church. You know, if you're a liturgical person, you're going to find as much, if not more, liturgics here, beauty and sights and sounds and smells and, and taste here than you, you will anyplace else. But you're going to have to worship your way in. Mm-hmm. So those, that would be something that I would... Yeah. Would I mean, what about one thing that was our tradition, you know, growing up our traditions were almost the concept almost completely foreign was asceticism mm. you know? and i think that 
that's a big part of the worship life, you know, yeah. that, so that this is, you know, all, all aspects of your person are engaged, mm. right? And the ascetic aspect of our tradition of, of the worship really, um, you know, it requires something of you yeah. <laughs> in a way that uh, uh, not many other traditions, I think, you know, have, you know, have that aspect to it. So mm. I don't know, is that, does that sound like a valid Oh, definitely. I mean, that's part of worshiping your way into the tradition is right. taking on those those aspects, those ascetic aspects of right. denial, self-denial. Yeah, it really is a it is a full-orbed faith. Uh, it's not just intellectual. It's not just emotional. It's not just physical smells and bells and things that make me feel good or give me warm fuzzies. Um, it it does require us to bring all of who we are, our body, our, our mind, our soul, our emotions, to the table. And, and honestly, that's one of the things that I struggled with, even as a pastor, in, in looking at, uh, I have many God-loving people, but looking at, at my own church and my own life and saying, why do I not desire, why do my people not desire to be transformed? We would say theosis, divinized, um, why do we not want to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ? Why aren't we willing to do the work of that? And what work is there to, to be done? It was like this big question. And it seemed obvious to me as a pastor that we should be moving in that direction. Scripture certainly calls us that way. But it seemed like it, it, that was just reserved for like the, the overzealous super Christians. It, it wasn't really necessary. And so that's something that you will find different here is this this is about your whole life entering into the reality of the kingdom of god as fully as possible now and that that requires an investment of time uh, of money of energy of calendars of priority of where i'm going to be on what day it, it, it what, what's the, uh, I saw uh, like a t-shirt or something. It was like Orthodox Christianity, like Orthodoxy, um, Christianity only, only tougher or yeah, yeah. only harder or something. Right, yeah. It's like that. Yeah, but it, it, it requires that we bring all of ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, it, be, so be ready. Right. I mean, that, that, so be ready. The, the piece you mentioned about not being emotional. I mean, it's not, right. the, the goal of our worship is not to stimulate emotion, yes. emotional or sentimentality. Um, I've heard other people say something like this, like Sunday mornings, oftentimes I'm feeling pretty lousy, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, haven't had my morning coffee, right. you, know, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I had to get up early or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was saying in that regard, you know, there have been some really good, uh, I think of uh, Rick Warren, who's a, a well-known um, Baptist minister, wrote the very popular um, Purpose Driven Life book. And in that he says, this isn't about you. Yeah. The church isn't about you. Life isn't about you. He, he's right on. Yeah. He's right on. The problem is, is that so many of the churches, and I would argue perhaps even his, do do ministry focused on the people. And that would be something else to be aware of is coming in. Is, is it, it is very much embodied. We are here mm -hmm. to do the work of the people, which is worshiping God. The service is not designed for you or me. It's not tailored for my needs or my interests. Or a forum to express your personal right. whatever. Yeah. Right, your own unique yeah. perspective on yeah. whatever. Yeah. 
we we come together to worship and the and the priest leads us in that we join in that we join the angels in that so yeah, yeah. well the other thing i just came to mind just the i mean i've really appreciated getting to know you and spending time with you whatever we did my faith story podcast feels like forever i know we've we've been through light together here and really appreciated uh growing together with you right Um, as well but we were in the saint stephen's program together uh, and uh, i mean my favorite or my the most meaningful uh class that we've had so far in that our first year uh was the liturgical uh, class and just getting a sense of the the depth mm-hmm. uh, and the his, historical nature of our worship. You know, like yeah. we're reading fourth century liturgical texts, and it sounds exactly like yes. you know, the the structure and the languages. You know, of course, minor changes and mm-hmm. developments, but I see the worship that we do here in this fourth century liturgical text and earlier, and it's right. just like wow, mm-hmm. you know, like this is. Um, you know, the worship that we have here is uh, that the Orthodox tradition preserves mm. really is the way the church has always worshiped. Yes. And uh, that just discovering that with you mm-hmm. and talking about it, processing it, as, um, and actually seeing seeing those things firsthand was, has been enriching. So. It has been. And it, you know, I would just say that a word that has been helpful to me is fullness. Yeah, uh, I've heard that used from a number of different people. Father Barnabas Powell talks about that, a Greek priest, the fullness of the faith. And that's really how, I just want to say in general, that's how I view my wife and I both in, in coming into the Orthodox Church. We didn't come into the Orthodox Church, as some people have, with an axe to grind about Protestantism, about their church upbringing. We're thankful for ours. God gave us many good gifts in the families and in the churches uh, and in the church tradition that we grew up in. And it really, in many ways, prepared us for where we are today now in the Orthodox Church. And so, yeah, there are things theologically in practice that we do differently. But the way I think about it is a a fullness that, that our move into the Orthodox Church was a filling up, a fullness of the historic Christian faith that we had yet to receive, not simply a rejection of of our entire upbringing, and now yeah. that was bad. This is good, but taking You're all moving of the into good, a fullness, into yeah. a fullness of yeah. it. Yes, and, that, and so that has been has been really helpful, um, and, and just understanding. You know, there's historical reasons for all kinds of the things, and and right. we're born where we're born, in the families we're born in, and we're given what we're given at the time, and we seek God from that place. And so we're really thankful both for our upbringing, but we're also thankful to be in the Orthodox Church. Well, David, thank you for sharing your story here. And maybe we'll have to do a second installment here, you know, (laughs) a year year down the road or something for both of us. The unfolding journeys of all of our lives. So, uh, But uh, thanks for giving us a, a peek into your life and God's blessings on you and your family going forward. Thank you. Yeah. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen.